We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support. And now for the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the HET podcast. I am, of course, your host, Brandon Poen. And today I have a very special guest on to talk about um, navigating kind of um, newer professional journeys and career paths um, with physical therapists, but also kind of talking about a couple other wide ranges of topics um, that are kind of relevant issues in the physical therapy profession. As today, I am very happy to welcome Dr. Kim Rondina, who is the owner of Transform Manual Physical Therapy, um, PLLC, which is a thriving cash-based practice without any marketing efforts in Scottsdale and Arizona. Um, She is also the founder of Wisdom PT Coach, which is an organization founded on the spirit of service and is dedicated to the fulfillment of therapists and organizations, ambitions, and visions. Well, you know, Kim, I really appreciate, you know, you coming on today to chat. And I know a few months ago, we touched base and had a, you know, a really good discussion on some of the topics that we're going to dive more into today. And, you know, I, I know how you've been involved in a lot of avenues of the profession, um, you know, such as teaching through numerous professional organizations, other avenues. Would you mind just kind of sharing a little bit more about, you know, your background and story about kind of how you've gotten to where you are today? Absolutely, Brandon. Um, First of all, it's definitely a privilege to be your guest today and looking forward to um, a a conversation about education. It's the foundation of what drove my professional journey. So uh, a big shout out to you and F. Scott and Stephanie for building this amazing resource and uh, uh, looking forward to greater information being available to therapists seeking information out there. So um, again, it's a privilege to be here. Speaking about my journey professionally, I've been a physical therapist for 18 years. I graduated from USC in 2001. Uh, I worked across numerous types of outpatient practices, everything from a physician-owned practice to a private practice to a corporate practice um, to a larger private practice setting um, and held diversity um, of roles, most recently specifically addressing professional development and performance in our clinics and uh, looking to really provide an optimal experience for both the patient and the therapist experience. Um, A few years ago, there was a little bit of a transformational point, uh, recognizing how our clinical environments were resulting in patient care that in what I believe was a little bit less than the potential available for our communities. Uh, I also struggled with the fact that therapists were being more operationally managed as KPIs became more prevalent in our business structures and our conversations. 
Um, so we were missing the, the human piece, uh, people element of why so many of us became therapists. So uh, in all honesty, I abruptly changed career paths. I had a, a fantastic, amazing job in which I was responsible for the growth and development of uh, over 70 therapists. And uh, like I said, I, I abruptly changed directions and I started a clinical practice that focuses on client needs, allows me to provide a level of care that I believe my entire professional journey of a development has been aimed at offering. And with that comes um, the highest level of client care that I believe is um, my journey and engages me both personally, professionally, and allows me the freedom to provide the care um, that our patients so, um, so deserve. The clinical practice definitely provided the clinical um, piece to the picture. Uh, I have a, a large network of individuals that I work with and there was a growing demand for the mentorship piece. So I started Wisdom PT Coach and it's a pay it forward um, to fellow therapists and owners. And we focus on skills that cultivate therapists curiosity, they drive longevity, facilitate freedom in our profession. Um, so that's been my focus more so over the last years in addition to the clinical piece um, in which you mentioned kind of a, a cash-based. Um, it really is a, um, a collaboration with the patient more so than the traditional model per se. So it's been, it's been very much an enjoyment to be in that realm of practice on a day-by-day -day basis. So that's a little bit of my journey and uh, it looks familiar on the front end for a lot of people working in um, busier outpatient settings and it's transformed over the last few years into something that uh, fulfills me to this day. Well, that's great. And I'll admit, Kim, the, one of the things that as I kind of read and kind of that you mentioned when we talked a few months ago that really, frankly, shocked me was how you were able to do that avenue of the clinical piece without any marketing efforts. So that was always kind of shocking. I was like, how in the world <laughs> did you pull that off? Um, well, so in truth, I do have a website, so I believe that is a, a marketing effort, but it was a fixed cost on the front end, and I, I don't do any day-to-day -day or week-to-week um, marketing efforts. Um, and if we, we reference WebPT's 2019 state of rehab or state of therapy um, report, they did show that smaller practices do have an amazing ability to, to touch base with the consumer directly. And um, that's where a lot of their patient population comes from. So I do, um, I, uh, 60, over 60% of my patients come from existing patients and word of mouth and um, friends and family. And then another portion comes from um, not the typical PCP orthopedic model. I've got about 15% coming from that direction. And the other percent come from um, massage therapists, athletic trainers, Pilates instructors, um, functional medicine doctors, the realm of things. So just being unique in what I do, having an ability to help patients when they've kind of struggled to find solutions elsewhere, and kind of creating a unique means in which to do that, I think is, has created a, an ability for me not to have to market, which is in all honesty, um, as most therapists, not where we like to spend the majority of our time. Well, I think that's fantastic. And Kim, of course, you had alluded to um, some of these things a little bit earlier, but of course, you know, knowing and hearing from a lot of other healthcare providers, so not just physical therapists, about the concern of burnout and, you know, things changing once they're kind of out working in the workforce. And that can sometimes lead to 
initially passionate and eager clinicians um, either to seek other options and modify the career and personal path in a, either a positive or a negative way. So let's dive into this a little bit more as to what do you think are the main reasons that you feel that this phenomenon is happening to the scale that it's happening across the country? And I know it's a very multifactorial problem, and I know that there's a lot of things going into this. Uh, but let's just touch base on some of the big ones just to kind of get an overall understanding if we could. Sure. Um, well, let's start with framing the situation a little bit. Uh, unlike a uh, global warming debate, I think there's no real argument that burnout's a real issue, not just within physical therapy, but within the medical community as a whole. Um, there's plenty of research out there showing the differences between different medical practitioners. Um, and one that came of interest to me was a study from 2016 to 2017 um, demonstrated that PTs were actually the high, had the highest increase in percentage of turnover of all allied healthcare professionals. Um, so I think we feel it, but when we compare ourselves to others, um, being at the forefront is probably not where we want to be in this topic, but, um, and like you mentioned, when I talk to therapists, they've either made a change or looking to make a change. There's a familiar story of, I see 25 plus patients a day. I, I don't have the resources to, to work on mentorship and professional development. So much of what I do is paperwork. I'm taking hours worth of documentation home. So there's a, a familiar story. And so we kind of have to ask, you know, why is this happening? And in my opinion, processes and profits have been put before people. And um, so broadening the perspective around that, we as human beings are wired to explore, uh, learn, and find meaning. Um, workplace environments within PT specifically, which I can attest to, as well as educational institutions, professional organizations, have all started to shift to greater levels of structure. Um, that's resulted in a diminished capacity um, to engage for individual employees to engage in those intrinsically necessary elements that support a process of self-discovery um, of one's potential and pro provide fulfillment and longevity in what we're doing. Um, so more and more therapists are seeking or building opportunities that provide meaning for them and encourage growth in, or in a more of an organic nature. I think that there are some challenges for business owners and leadership teams um, to see this as more than just a shift in generational needs. Um, there's extensive research supporting that performance, long-term engagement, greater health and well-being are results, are actual results of cultures and business environments that truly live to explore, learn, and relate to their teams. So it's more than just having vision and values on the wall. It's more than just having an HR director being able to talk to you about the mentorship that's offered within their um, company. It's literally living and bleeding um, an environment that truly is about um, an internal customer experience as much as it is about an external customer experience. I think that's a really good point. And to add on to that, I mean, I'll openly and admittedly talk earlier on when I kind of hit more my quote unquote burnout. Um, to me, it surprisingly wasn't because of many of the reasons that you had kind of said when it came to the business side, at least where mm -hmm. I was at, I was at a nonprofit hospital health system. Mm -hmm. I didn't really experience that. However, what I did feel that kind of quote unquote burned me out was really not feeling clinically adequate and really mm -hmm. just not knowing how to really transition and independently be a clinician to the, you know, obviously an efficient level in my mind, of course, so, and also dealing with uncertainty and, you know, mm -hmm. finances, of course, you know, from a debt load. So 
I mean, I know those are certainly some relevant factors as well. And again, everyone's reason for feeling that way can be certainly different. I'm not going to take away from what you had just said, but there's a, definitely that other piece that can certainly be very relevant. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's a growing, um, I, I've talking to owners and employees there. It, it amazes me. There's actually a growing number of um, companies that are taking away the financial support for clinical growth and development. And our clinics have become challenging from a, um, a volume standpoint, whereas there can actually be mentorship time set aside to help a younger therapist grow and develop their skills, whereas they um, build the confidence, build the understanding of how to create rapport with a patient, even when things may not be going um, as your plan of care had hoped, but how to be adaptable, how to find solutions, how to be um, uh, have a wider perspective about what's truly being impactful to a patient. Um, and those things take dedicated time to create that expertise. A Harvard Business Review actually recently published a study that demonstrated, uh, I believe it was a 15-year period of time that it took to develop expertise. And that's dedicated practice. That's not just doing your job. That's dedicated practice. And so many of our um, younger ther therapists come out of school, and if you just ask them the question, is what do you want to you know, what do you want your career to be looking like in five years? Everybody wants a certification. They want a level of expect, um, expertise. They want to show a level of confidence um, that warrants the amount of dedication they've put through years and years of years of school and training. You know, when we talk about what that 10 to 15 year program looks like, it has to be dedicated rather than just situational and, and opportunistic because that's not fulfilling and that's not enough. Um, because again, um, we want to explore and learn, and that has to be done in a, in a meaningful way rather than just a, a time schedule um, matter of fact. So your situation is pretty common as well, so without question. Well, absolutely. And I think one thing to add on to that as well is that I know many others as well often will kind of feel pressured to choose certain jobs, just mostly looking at the bottom line in terms of from a dollar because of you know debt and just other you know, life expenses that come up because it can be a, a time where a lot of life events are happening. So, I mean, there certainly is a financial strain element as well that can heavily influence our choices and what we do to do to a degree too. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I, I've talked to the student uh, conclave here in Arizona. And one of the things that I try to, try to put in context is, you know, as a starting salary, if you're getting offered say $5,000 difference in a starting salary, if you break that down after taxes and take away all the you know, contributions to your 401k and the things that you should be doing, um, it's, it, it averages about $11 a day. So you have to ask yourself, for $11 a day, um, is it worth basically seeing potentially between 15 to 20 more patients a day for that extra $5,000? So for some people, that might be a yes, absolutely. I need to get ahead of the financial stress of debt. Um, and up for other people, the realization of their, you know, the stress that they're assuming for that uh, marginal difference in their pay on a daily basis um, and what they feel like when they get home at the end of the day uh, may not be the best choice for them. So uh, you, you do have to explore things from a little bit more of a global perspective and understand what your reason for making the decision is. And um, undoubtedly, the student debt issue is real. Um, I know that we're, we're taking some steps to try to mitigate that in some way, and hopefully we're, we'll have a lesser impact on the vitality of a profession by taking some of the steps we are today as a, at, at a national level. So, 
Well, absolutely. And I know that there's been groups, especially within the ELP, there's been a task force that's been assigned yep. to kind of investigate that a little bit more in depth and specifically um, because you're very real, you're very correct. And I think what was really interesting is that study. I don't know if you read this one by uh, Rich Shields at a uh, university of Iowa where they kind of looked at the, uh, a certain level of depth for PT is worth it up to a certain point. Yeah. I don't remember the exact number, so I'm not going to misquote anything here, but sure. basically what it said was after a certain level of debt, the return on investment seems to really be quite questionable. Yeah. And I know you've mentioned that in a prior episode as well. And I think combined with the work that WebPT has done to kind of give us an idea of the magnitude and the impact across um, the tens of, I believe we're up to about 10,000 therapists every year graduating. Um, if you take an average student debt of about $150,000, you take an average um, interest rate um, and you have someone paying off the minimum balance every month because they're striving to do other things in their life, you know, housing, life, family, all that stuff. It takes them over 35 years to pay off their student loan. So I think uh, Rich's uh, research probably conceptualize that in a different manner for people to kind of uh, relate to and make decisions from. But the magnitude is, is significant. And how do you ever feel like you get ahead and um, you feel like you can exhale because the professional, um, there's supposed to be joy and, and fulfillment in what we're doing rather than an obligation or stress to, to work harder and to see more patients to make more money. I'm pretty sure none of us really um, sought that as a, as a career profession. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's stifling, but I, I think there's some, some groundwork being laid as far as how we can start to shift that. And hopefully there's some support on the university side as well to, to start seeing um, the need to have an influence there as well. Right. And I hope so as well, because I mean, talking with a lot of other people, especially within academia, it's, you know, I think a big misconception that some people have is that the PT program directly controls tuition like, well, that's actually not true at all. It's actually the Board of Regents that's going to dictate Correct. that number, whatever that may be. And I've talked with even chairs, and they're like, dude, I'd love to talk and modify that, but that's just outside my position. Yeah, and, and they're also being challenged to increase the size of their classes and have more PT students uh, enroll each year. And although there are applicants... Um, we have to look at kind of the greater good and the message that the universities are conveying as far as the, the uh, opportunity after graduation and after they pass their licensing exam. So it's just not about opening the door to achieving a degree, but what does that degree lead to from a, a success and fulfillment as a professional in the PT industry? So absolutely. Yeah. And this is kind of a follow-up. I didn't write this down, but uh, given that, of course, we're talking about the, uh, you know, the nature of kind of that path and progression, given the finances now, of course, that there's been kind of a move to make residency more of the normal continuum after entry level education. Um, of course, that's a long term thing. They're trying to make it not cost prohibitive and there's you have to work on supply and there's a lot of other things that, you know, they realize would have to be done for this to happen in a longer, a longer term time frame. But I'm just kind of curious, where do you stand on the residency being the normal continuum? Because I've heard different perspectives, and I think it's always interesting. Um, I have mixed feelings on it. Uh, from the professional side, elevating um, our abilities to make an impact on our com community is, is never a bad idea. Um, but if we look at the conversation around possibly how the transition to DPT um, has 
either helped, hindered, or had a neutral effect on us, uh, I think we kind of project um, some outcomes, but I think from a, a reality and the true impact of a change in a shift like this, like a residency and fellowship, kind of mirroring more of the medical model, I think the DPT kind of showed us that we mix, missed the mark a little bit as far as it anticipated outcomes and the impact. So I'm hesitant. Um, I'm not against it in any, in any way, I, um, but given the fact that we've got the financial impact um, on the students and uh, mandating further education in a directed curriculum, I think has potential to limit people coming into the profession, to be honest, because they'll see a bigger mound to overcome. And then from a, a quality impact and outcome in the community, um, again, I think our, you know, again, connecting a little bit to the DPT transition, um, I think our medical colleagues have shown a little bit of lack of support of the decisions that we make to try to elevate ourselves. Uh, there was an article referenced in PT in Motion, April 2018, that showed from 2003 to 2014, so over a 10-year period of time, uh, referrals from primary care physicians to PTs dropped by over 50%. So if our thought process is that a degree a residency program, a fellowship program is going to influence the individuals that make a choice to utilize our services. I think from a physician standpoint, we might be getting, uh, we might have false hope. Um, and all, for those of you who might not remember, we transitioned to the DPT in the 90s. So I know some of you uh, who are uh, earlier in your profession may not have uh, experienced in that, but obviously there was a time frame in which that DPT was making a difference on um, the level of skill and competency of new graduates coming out, but yet our medical peers aren't necessarily seeing the value that we ourselves see. Um, so it's reasonable to ask if these type of thought processes are really making a difference um, in our relationships with referral sources. Um, at the same time, I have no doubt that the DPT helped us achieve direct access. Um, but now the question has been raised by another study um, that basically, you know, we've had in all 50 states since 2014, we've had some form of direct access, but yet only 8% of patients diagnosed with a musculoskeletal injury are accessing PT. So is it a access issue or is it a buy-in issue? And is it on the referral side or is it on the consumer side? Um, so again, I think if we're, we're trying to elevate ourselves and mirror those of our medical colleagues, um, we, we may be surprised down the road in, in what it actually provides for us. And then we haven't even talked about the financial side. Third-party payers don't pay us based off of the letters after our name. Um, so DPT had no difference. So over the period of time where DPT was implemented, um, cost containment has actually led to a declining level of reimbursement. So Again, if they have no interest in the direction or the value of those that at the same level that we do, are we potentially furthering the financial burden of every um, new graduate that comes out of school by limiting their reimbursement capacity? Then we're also putting owners in a situation to try to figure out how to offset that financial burden. So. I think there's some challenges that we face. Um, the in, from an impact perspective, I, I think the DPT has a lesson to share with us about maybe potentially following that path. 
Um, and I think we have to start realizing that the other entities, be it, let it be the payer, the referral source, and the community may not value us as much as our own mindset. And so um, shifting resources and starting programs all has to keep that in mind. So, um, you know, you know I, to add a little bit on the consumer side of things, for me the, with the consumer, and again, I work in a cash pace environment, so I have a, a fair amount of buy-in for my patients, right? They're definitely um, committed to health and uh, I don't have to fight about home exercise programs and adherence. It, it literally is, what do you want me to be doing? Right. And they like to show off that they've been compliant since the last time I see them. And I see patients every three weeks. So there's got to be a level of commitment for them to have um, an, a meaningful change from session to session. And they understand that. But they also appreciate that, you know, I'm not going to hand them a list of 12 things to do and, and have someone make sure they're doing it in the right form and manner. So the, the best thing I can pay to patient is to be their own health advocate and manage their own health long term. So for me, it's a, with consumers, it's really about value. And uh, it's an interesting note. You might have uh, read Strive Labs. They kind of noticed that there's a 70% dropout rate in our patients. So again, what's the message? Um, I think there's also a, another contributing element to that dropout rate. Uh, APTA recently published uh, their workforce data that showed a new patient has greater than a 40% chance of being seen by a novice clinician. So... Will a residency slash fellowship program change that entry point for our community into the PT realm? Possibly. Um, will that impact the dropout rate? Hopefully. Um, but right now the consumers are basically hesitant to engage. But the uh, amazing thing is that um, I was, when I was sitting in the airport over the weekend, I dug up some information on the, the wellness economy. So just to clarify, the medical community is not part of the wellness economy. We're talking about personal trainers, um, Pilates, yoga, um, the whole gamut of realm. And in 2017, it was a $4.2 trillion industry. That's with a T, not with a B. And over a four-year period of time, it went up over a trillion dollars itself. So that's a massive growth curve. Tell me any industry that wouldn't want that. So the, the consumer is definitely willing to engage and spend. Um, but I think they're demonstrating um, that those decisions aren't correlated to the direction and the path that maybe we intrinsically feel has meaning to the consumer. So again, I can see the value of it, but I just would, I would love to have a group think tank of some people, some individuals, not only within the APTA, but outside of the EAPTA to, to really dig into all the facets of the future of this ideology and what the impact um, in a meaningful way from all perspectives, not just um, our intrinsic value of ourselves. And I, I think that the, with that would come a, a better uh, planning process and decision process for sure. Yeah. I mean, you touched on so many huge and important points on there. And I, you know, I, I, I completely concur. I mean, the data is what it is. And I think there are some you know, some good from what, from kind of these initiatives, but there's also some things we have to consider, like you said, and really take it for what it is and have some more discussion on potential future impact. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare.
To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.